2024 is here, a new year to fill with all the things we love about MMA. Sloppy heavyweights, speedy flyweights, and all the violence in between. We're kicking off the year back in the Great White North, Canada for UFC 297, a card with a couple of weird title fights and a very tasty undercard. But today we're going to try and get back a little bit to the original point of the Unfamiliars, guys. I'm still going to talk about every fight on the card and I'm going to make my picks, but we really want to start focusing each card on one or two things that are really sneaking under the radar. So today we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about Mike Malott, who is taking on Neil Magny this weekend, and whether or not he might be the new big hope for Canadian MMA. We're also going to touch on my personal fight of the night, Arnold Allen versus Movsar Ivloev. But we will get onto that a little bit later. I'm Max from MMA On Point. Thank you to our Hall of Famer members for making videos like this happen. And this is the Unfamiliars for UFC 297. First up at flyweight, Malcolm Gordon takes on Jimmy Flick. The Canadian Malcolm X makes his third pay-per-view showing here, and we've talked about him for his last two fights, in which he had the bad luck to get matched up with two absolute savages from the UK, Jake Hadley and Mohamed Makayev, who both finished him. Gordon now sits at 2-4 and four in the UFC. The Alberta native fell in love with jiu-jitsu as a high schooler, and he told his parents he was going to be a UFC fighter. He worked hard on the regional scene in Canada, eventually winning the WXC belt with a 17-second knockout, the TKO belt with some excellent jiu-jitsu. He's well-rounded but his submission attacks are the standout for me. He's not the greatest pressure grappler or takedown artist in the world, but from the guard, he spots openings to slap on armbars, triangles, and kimuras everywhere. We haven't seen him much in the UFC yet, sadly. He's definitely struggled with the step up in competition. Another guy who hasn't reached his potential in the UFC so far is Jimmy Flick. This man needs to get back on track for me because I've never wanted to see a fighter succeed so badly. If you like watching fun and dangerous grapplers, Jimmy Flick is your boy. 14 submissions on his record. That's 88% of his wins, and he's never been tapped out either. Jimmy wrestled his whole life and found jiu-jitsu at a young age too. He fought his way up to winning the LFA title by submission inside 38 seconds. Another choke on the Contender Series got him a UFC debut, which he won with a spectacular flying triangle choke and it made me a fan for life and then immediately retired from the sport. Why do you do this to me, Jimmy? He came back after three years out of the game and sadly, he's now riding a two-fight losing streak, both by TKO and with all the ability he has, he should not be bowing out of the UFC. He struggles on the feet a little bit for sure. He doesn't throw feints or move his head much, which makes him very predictable. It is a little bit tight on the odds here, but Gordon is ahead, and I think I'm going to take the dog on this one. Gordon does have the reach advantage on the feet, but Jimmy is not going to look to entertain the striking. He's going to get it down one way or another. Malcolm Gordon only has a 9% takedown defense. I think this one does hit the mat, and I think Jimmy has a lot of advantages on the ground going into it, so I'm going to take Jimmy Flick, I'll say by submission. Next up a strawweight, Jasmine Jazdavicious takes on Priscilla Cachuera. Priscilla Cachuera continues to defy the odds after being brought into the US to get murdered on live television by Valentina Shevchenko and going on a three-fight losing streak, she rebounded her career in 2020 with a massive knockout and has gone three and two since then. Cachuera has literally made a career out of hitting quite hard and being good at taking damage. She absorbs 7.13 significant strikes per minute and has taken absolute beatings even in the fights that she's won. She'll keep moving forward and swinging at you, but she's got basically no striking defense. And even though her takedown defense is okay, she has never even attempted a submission in her entire MMA career. She has three submission losses. So yeah, pretty easy to predict as long as you don't will under her pressure. Jasmine Jazdavicius has been very hot and cold in her UFC runs so far. Three wins, two losses with some really impressive wins there though, especially against Miranda Maverick. With absolutely zero experience in any martial art before she turned 26 and just decided to give it a crack, Jazdavicius has to be one of the best late starters in combat sports. She went from never having thrown a punch to UFC contender in six years, which as a six-year jiu-jitsu guy, I don't think 
I don't think I'm ready for Leon Edwards. The Canadian native picked up a contract on the Contender Series back in 2021, and she has been the underdog in almost every UFC fight, delivering some great upsets. She's not as hittable as Cachuera, who I think could probably get hit by a blind one-armed nun, but Jazdavicious definitely still does take her lumps. Her pressure is excellent. She's going to try and rush her way into the clinch and drag her opponent down on the cage. Once it is down, her control and her ground and pound is excellent. She stays heavy, doesn't really look for submissions, but she just wants to put damage and control time on the board every single round. This could be one of those fights where Casuera just marches forward, lands the big punch like a 125-pound Mark Hunt, but I do think her pressure could work against her here if she marches herself into the clinch and Jazdavicious takes her down. From top to bottom, I feel like Jazdavicious has an edge, so I will take Jasmine Jazdavicious by decision. Next up at 170, Johan Lainess takes on Sam Patterson. England's Sam Patterson had his UFC debut go awry as he ate a nasty TKO loss in a fight which he was favorite to win. He's going up a weight class to 170 pounds in his comeback here, and he needs to get a win to get his height back as one of the great UK prospects. Prior to that UFC debut, Patterson was on a 10-fight unbeaten streak and is finishing 90% of his wins with a really good lengthy striking game. And what I like to call lanky man jiu-jitsu, he slides those long skinny arms under the chin from all angles and wraps up a tight squeeze. I like his boxing when he's on the front foot. He's got a really sharp jab and he combos up quite well, but he always seems to be there to get hit with power punches. He uses his usually massive height and reach advantage really well at six foot three, but now he's coming up a weight class to be less pronounced. Johan Lainess, his opponent coming into this one, is coming in off of a loss as well, a round one submission against Mike Millard. And at one win and two losses in the UFC, he's looking to prove the same as Patterson that he belongs here. Canadian came up through Cage Fury, winning their welterweight belt and scoring a big knockout in his contender series shot as a plus 220 underdog, which we like to see. The White Lion is a big power puncher with six first round knockouts under his belt, and some of them were spectacular too. A 14 second flying knee and a body punch TKO, which you know are my favorite. He's a big lad. He's a really explosive striker. Not exactly the most technical in the world. His cardio can fail him too because of how he flies into his strikes. And that has exposed him a bit at this higher level. Either way, this goes, this one's ending early. On the mat, Sam Patterson has the ability to wrap up a submission from anywhere, but on the feet, he's very hittable. And coming into this one against a bigger dude, a weight class up, who's a power puncher, that doesn't spell good things for me. But honestly, if Sam can avoid that KO punch for a round or so, Lioness is going to run out of gas. And then I think Patterson can make it a really long night for him. I've gone back and forth on this pick a few times and I changed it just before I started recording. I am going to go with Sam Patterson. I'm going to say he gets it done by decision. Next up, two better known ladies at strawweight. Jillian Robertson takes on Pollyanna Viana. Two longtime strawweight contenders in the UFC here, both of them coming off of losses and both probably sitting just outside the rankings. Despite her spotty UFC record, Jillian Robertson has proven she can submit anyone if you give her half a chance. And at only 28, she still has some years at this level. If she can keep more W's on her record than L's. Similarly, Pollyanna Viana has been snatching armbars and scrapping it out at this level for six years now with varying levels of success. A very similar fight is for me and this one is a very close fight. These two being grapplers will probably hit the mat at some point and I do think down there Robertson just has a little bit more of an advantage. She has submitted girls who have submitted Viana so MMA math coming into play here. I'm going to take Jillian Robertson I'll say by submission. Next up a Bantamweight, Serhe City takes on Roman Taveras in a rematch from the Contender Series. Here's a weird one, both of these guys making their UFC debut, but it's a rematch after an early stoppage on the Contender Series. Their fight back in September was shaping up to be a good one. A 1-2 from City ended the night, the referee jumped in a bit too soon. Dana called it a horrible stoppage, and after Tavares came back on the show and got a knockout, Dana immediately scheduled a rematch in the big show for these lads. Maybe they paid the ref off so they could both get a contract. Ramon Tavares fighting out of Florida was on a roll heading into that first Dana White Contender Series fight. Four wins on the 
Trot and a big knockout win that got him Combat Knight Pro's championship belt. Standing 5'8 at Bantamweight, he's not a massive dude for the division, but he's got that John Lineker body type, short, stocky, and powerful. His southpaw boxing is his meat and potatoes with great hand speed and big power in his hands. Taveras pressures really well on the front foot and he cuts off the cage excellently before moving in to throw his combos. All but one of his wins have ended by finish. In the grappling department, we haven't seen much to go off from Taveras. He's liable to get taken down and he does have a couple of submissions on his record, but he's going to want to keep it on the feet and hunt for the knockout, definitely. He's also a bit of a showboater on the feet with his head movement, which could get him into trouble. He takes a good shot, but his only two losses have come by knockout. Sergei City is a very different style of fighter though. 5 foot 11 with a good reach for the weight class. City uses the jab and the long kick from the outside as his main offense. He's not incredibly powerful, but he uses footwork and feints on a much higher level than Tavares, even if his power in the exchanges isn't. The combo that dropped Tavares in their first fight was a really well-timed pull 1-2. Landed just as Tavares bit on the feint. It was an early stoppage, but it was also a very clean punch. Another X factor for City here is his cardio. He's never needed to go five rounds, but we have seen him in the fourth round, still with enough pop on his punches and gas in the tank to get a big knockout finish. This might be a good spot for an underdog pick, as it's fair to say Tavares actually had the better of City for most of their first fight. But of course, as much of an early stoppage as it was, City did clip him and knock him down. I do think it's going to be a really fun scrap on the feet, and both of these guys are coming in with a point to prove, but I think Tavares has the speed and power advantage, and in a fight that's going to play out on the feet, I do think that's going to be a big part of it. I'm going to take Ramon Tavares to get revenge and score a knockout. Next up, Charles Jordan takes on Sean Woodson. What an absolute cracker. This one is just going to be fun all around. Two very technically gifted dudes who like to get in firefights. I hope they scrap it out at kickboxing range because that would be just fun to watch, but we could see Jordan mix in some grappling to nullify Woodson's pressure boxing game. I'm a really big fan of Sean Woodson and his boxing. I mean, body knockouts. But I do think Jordan has an edge in the experience against higher level competition, and I also think his grappling could be a little bit of an X factor here. I'm just going to hedge and say Charles Jordan takes it down by submission. Up next at 135, Brad Katona takes on Garrett Armfield. Brad Katona returns to Canada. We spoke about him last time out for his win against Cody Gibson, which got him his second Ultimate Fighter trophy, the only fighter to win two seasons. He's not a finisher by any means, but Katona has proven he's a guy who can take a hell of a beating and still find a way to get the win. He's getting what seems like a little bit of a layup to me, even though the odds don't agree with me. Garrett Armfield is coming into his third UFC fight with an even one win, one loss record in the big show. Armfield hasn't been able to string more than a few wins together at a time. Last time out, he got his first UFC win, an absolute racker of a right hand over Toshiomi Kazama. But I do think Katona represents a huge step up very early. In his losses, Armfield has been out-wrestled by much lower-level grapplers than Brad Katona. Although Armfield's a solid striker, he's got good accuracy and power in his hands, Katona has proven he can eat a punch and keep coming. The oddsmakers are giving Armfield a lot of respect. He's only a slight underdog, but I will take the favorite here. Brad Katona, I say he wins by decision. Opening up the main card, my fight of the night. Arnold Allen takes on Movsar Ivloyev. This is definitely the hardcore's main event. If you don't know yet, here it goes. Arnold Allen came into the UFC and went on a nine-fight undefeated run. We were all just waiting for him to get a chance at the belt, but he was met by Max Holloway. He did go five rounds with the blessed one, but he was soundly outstruck in a decision. Movsar Ivloyev was in my very first Unfamiliars video for his UFC debut, and he has come so far since then. A win here puts him in the discussion for the belt. To say that this fight his high level is a hell of an understatement. Both of these guys are still in their 20s and they have only one loss between them out of 18 fights in the UFC. It is an incredible styles clash too. Ivloyev coming from
from a Russian wrestling background and Arnold Allen being more of a kickboxer, but they're not specialists either. They're both extremely well-rounded guys and they've both shown the ability to adapt their game plan during a fight, which is one of the most important things about having fight IQ for me. It's not just about putting your game plan on someone, it's about being to change that game plan if it's not working. This is such a great fight at such a great time for both of these guys. I do truly think one of them will be champion one day. And it's actually so close that I don't even want to make a pick, to be honest. Ivloyev has never lost. And as much as I think he is a machine, going five rounds with Max Holloway and showing the heart and grit that Arnold did, I think he's only going to come back stronger from that sort of thing. And if he can keep it on the feet early and avoid the takedown, I think he can put Ivloyev in the kind of deep water on the feet that he has not had to deal with in his career so far. It's on a knife edge for me, but I am going to take Arnold Allen as the dog by decision. Next up at middleweight, Chris Curtis takes on Mark andre Barrio. A bit of gatekeeper versus gatekeeper violence here. Chris Curtis, of course, 40 fights deep into his career, is as veteran as veterans get, but he's not been able to hit the top 10 in the UFC. Barrio is on a bit of an upswing with a two-fight winning streak, but he also hasn't been able to break through. Barrio's kind of gotten to the point now where if he hasn't been able to bully through to a knockout and his opponent stands up against his pressure, he usually kind of fades quickly and loses a decision. Curtis is technically sound on the feet. He's a solid boxer. He's not fast, but he carries power. But most importantly, he's durable and he's hard to knock out. And for a guy like Barrio, I do think that spells bad news. I think Chris Curtis is durable and powerful enough to cause problems. I will take him by decision. And now let's get to the fun stuff. Mike Malott is taking on Neil Magny. And I think it's possible Mike Malott is the next big Canadian star. Malott is taking on his toughest fight so far in the extremely experienced Neil Magny, but the hype train he is riding is coming in hot. He is running off of Canadian badassery and maple syrup. I really do think he's got the potential to be the new face of Canadian MMA, a spot that's been dead in the water since George St. Pierre first walked away from the sport a decade ago. Rory Mack was supposed to be the heir to that throne, but it just didn't work out that way, and the seat has been left open. Now, Mike Malott sits undefeated in the UFC after three fights, and he is creating a real connection with these Canadian fans. I mean, last time out in Canada, he got so much love that fans collapsed a railing reaching out for high fives. But crowd support and hype is one thing. Tangible success is something else. Does Malott have what it takes to ride the wave all the way, or is there a Neil Magny-shaped wall about to stop him in his tracks? Malott's career so far actually has a few power parallels to GSP. From an early age, his martial arts training was at a karate school down the road in Hamilton, Ontario. And like Saint-Pierre, Malott knew that the key to becoming a great MMA fighter was filling the gaps in your ability and becoming well-rounded. After going 5-1 and one on the regional circuit, mainly using his kickboxing, Mike took a three-year hiatus from his MMA career to focus on fleshing out his grappling. He took grappling matches, super fights, and earned his black belt. Suddenly, the karate car from Canada had a slick submission game and takedown arsenal. Reminds me a bit of how a certain Canadian icon worked hard to become one of the best MMA wrestlers in the game with no grappling background. Malak took this learning a step further. He became a striking coach at Team Alpha Male. He started experiencing UFC level fight camps and fight week duties on a regular basis, working with the likes of Uriah Faber and Cody Garbrandt. Since returning to his MMA career, Malak has won a UFC contract on 5-0 with 5 finishes, 4 of which were submissions. Technically, he has not yet given us a reason to doubt his abilities. He's looked amazing, but these fights have not been against the cream of the crop in the UFC just yet. He can't choose his opponents, of course, but I do think Neil Magny represents a huge step up in competition and a perfect test for if Mike can put a number next to his name, start making some big moves in the division. He's on one of the hottest runs in the sport. In his last showing at UFC 289, the Vancouver crowd were in love with him. The rings of Ole Ole rang around in the arena. When he 
stepped in with that beautiful right hook and dropped Adam Fugit and followed up with a nasty choke to get the tap, the crowd exploded in a way that you do not often hear outside of the main event. That finish made it 5-0 for Canadians on that card, and Malott screamed into the microphone. This show is for us! This man has almost all he needs to earn the spot as the new standard bearer for Canadian MMA, but he's missing one thing, a resume. Until now, Malat hasn't been drawn against a 170-pounder with any standing at a high level. And now, just over 10 years since GSP walked away from his welterweight reign, Malat is stepping into the Scotiabank Arena to take on Neil Magny, who has more experience than every one of Malat's UFC opponents combined and has been in the rankings for what feels like forever. The Canadian needed a sink-or-swim fight against a high-level gatekeeper, and this is the one. Neil is as tough a challenge as Malott's ever had, but he has not given me a reason to doubt him yet. I'm taking Mike Malott by submission. Next up, guys, it is a title fight, but it's a weird one. Raquel Pennington versus Myra Buena Silva. I mean, it's definitely a fight. No disrespect to these ladies, but it doesn't really get the juices flowing. And Buena Silva knows that. She's mentioned it in the press leading up. We are entering the post-Amanda Nunes era, and it looks like it's going to be a bit hard. Rocky Pennington is as tough as nails. She's a veteran. And she has some really good talent in the wrestling game, but Buena Silva is a problem. She's big. She's powerful at this weight class. Her pressure is enormous. She's going to have Rocky on the back foot from the first second, and though she is isn't the most technical cage cutter, she's still a lot to deal with. She throws for the knockout all the time, and if she can get it to the mat where she wants it, her submissions are deadly too. Rocky's on a good run, the longest streak of her career, but to me, she hasn't shown much evolution. And with Pennington's last loss coming at the hands of Holly Holm, who Myra Buena Silva just finished inside two rounds, MMA math is on her side as well. So I'm gonna take Myra Buena Silva, I'll say she gets it done by submission and becomes the new bantamweight champion. And your main event of the evening for gold at 185, Sean Strickland defends against Dricus Duplessis. It's the weirdest title fight in a long time, this. Neither of these men fight like they have a plan or any kind of rhythm. Sean Strickland weaponized his awkward in beating Adesanya, and Duplessis continues leaning on his massive power and strength advantages. I do think Duplessis' technique is a little bit underrated. He's got some pretty clever looks on the feet and on the ground. A Strickland decision here would not surprise me. Duplessis gasses out so fast, and Sean just has the ability to walk around jabbing you for 25 minutes, but I do think Duplessis could come out and give Strickland flashbacks to that Alex Pereira fight. If you pressure Strickland, you will beat him. And if Duplessis comes out of the blocks like he usually does, raring to go, and he finds a big punch or a big takedown early doors, I can actually see him running through Sean on this one. It's a bit of a coin flip for me, but I am going to put my faith in the big man from South Africa. I say Dricus Duplessis comes out with a knockout win, becomes the new middleweight champion of the world. But what do you guys think? It is kind of a weird card, but there are some bangers on that undercard. I hope you liked our little spiel on Mike Malott. Keep an eye on him. Big shout out to all our YouTube members, our channel champions. We really appreciate your support. If you'd like to show some support to the channel, help us keep making these videos please click the join button below the video and check out the options there. Do leave a comment or hit me up at max underscore Randall on Twitter and enjoy the fights.